Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Today, we have Andrew O'Neill on. And there's the, that little thing that looks like a scar, the little line that runs through your perineum. And I, the, the perineum is otherwise known as the gooch, for those who might not know. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I find yeah. gooch such a satisfying piece of slang for some reason. <laughs> Andrew is a comedian, musician and wizard of sorts, as you'll hear. We spoke to them in November and one of the subjects of the chat was Eddie Izzard, a huge influence upon Andrew. At the time, we used the pronouns he, him, which were the pronouns that, as far as we knew, Eddie was using. But since then, Eddie Izzard has switched to she, her pronoun. So just to let you know, we of course are not being disrespectful of that, it's just that the podcast was recorded, well, in the past. Enjoy it. This is the beginning of the podcast. This week we have Andrew O'Neill. Andrew, who are you? That was good. I liked it. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Who am I? Uh, I mean, I've been to therapy to work this out. <laughs> to be fair, it's not that straightforward, the first question. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> it's one of the most fundamental questions I've we also got it about. wrong because we normally ask to introduce yourself, which is easier than asking who someone fundamentally is. Yeah, on some level, who are you, Andrew? Let's couch the question like that. Okay. Oh, yes. I'm a comedian, a musician, a writer, a human being, a non-binary person, a really, really, really big fan of Jimi Hendrix. Quite interesting, though. I mean, I know I know a bit about you and your musical tastes, Andrew, but I, d- I don't think I was aware that like Hendrix was almost a separate category from all other. Uh, he, yeah, he really, he really is. He's unassailable, and it's it's something that I've, I I still go back to his music and sort of ask why there's a gap between him yeah, and I find that really interesting. Everything else, I think that he was tapping into something. I mean, I practice ritual magic as well, which is a whole other thing but yes. there's there's not many people have got such a complex set of interests <laughs> that you could introduce yourself without even mentioning the ritual magic <laughs> that's normally seen as a conversation stuff can you explain to someone who does not understand what ritual magic is it's influencing the universe through non-rational means very oh interesting so like well yeah can you give us an example yeah so you do a ritual you symbolize the thing you want to happen the change you want to make um and you carry that out to a degree that initially pissed me off because it because it wrecked my my quite stable worldview. Oh, it you were annoyed works. that it, you were annoyed to find that it was working. Properly unsettled, genuinely, when it started working, 
I was <laughs> annoyed and unsettled and disturbed. And so I now have a genuine agnosticism when, when it comes down to core beliefs of truth. Mm. Yeah, that's, mm. I really, I mean, I, I mean that, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. What was the first kind of brush, I suppose, that you had with masculinity? Was it in the sense of faith, do you think, or was it? No, my sort of home environment was quite sort of split in terms of, in terms of gender. I've got two older brothers and they're quite a bit older than me. There's a bit of a gap. And yeah, you know, I live with my mum, them and my mum and my dad and my nan. And they didn't really, you know, we, I didn't sort of play with them because they were too old. Yeah. And kind of in the day, I'd be sort of, you know, hanging out with my mum and my nan, the mums sort of on the street, the girls who lived on the street, there were no boys. And then there was a sort of, dad and brothers and, and sort of like the weekends or in the evening mm. you know, monday to um, friday was a, f- a female environment yes absolutely yeah men yeah. were for the weekends yeah 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 and so i felt when i was a kid i basically wanted to be a girl and it was very clear to me that that wasn't allowed and the thing that i kind of really really came to to understand it was more carrot than stick i was rewarded for masculine stereotypical masculine behavior and if you think particularly about the example of like a, a visiting uncle, mm. you know, you, sort of, you do a little kind of performance of being a bit more rough and tumble in order to gain, gain their approval. So yeah. I had a fairly clear notion of what was expected of me compared to what was expected of the girls I used to play with and what they, how they could look and feel and act and all that sort of thing. So there was a notion of this is the box and the set of behaviours that's for you and this is the box and the set of behaviours that's not. Were you drawn to, so, I mean, I don't know if this is... It's not massively true of Hendrix, perhaps, but were you drawn in general to music because it's an arena where people can kind of play with different areas of gender performance in a way that still is sort of acceptable? Or you probably weren't thinking this when you were eight years old, but... I mean, I got into Hendrix when I was about 10 or 11, but before that I was a really big Queen fan. Yeah, so again... Um, And so there, what you get in Freddie Mercury, you've got this incredible performance of masculinity which is then underlined by a grace and a femininity and obviously his, I would probably guess now, pansexuality. And so I was drawn to a performance and a larger-than-life kind of identity. But then being drawn into metal, and I'm a, like a massive metalhead, I think there was there's something about its reassuring <laughs> knucklehead masculinity that I could hide behind and kind of, you know, part of my feeling about being non-binary rather than being trans is that there are aspects of my masculinity that I quite like and there are aspects of masculinity that I quite dig and like in myself. So Yeah, yeah we've spoken was- to several people who object to the idea that, for example, being trans is a rejection of one gender in favour of another or something. It, it feels as if there's a general yeah. sense that you're best off taking a bit of a bit of everything if you can. Yeah, yeah. There's an incredible video it's a band called Neurosis, who uh, are from Oakland. They were like a crust punk band. They're now this incredible, epic metal band. There's a song called Locust Star, and there's a live video of it on YouTube. And the beginning of it, like <laughs> the opening to the vocal, it builds and builds and builds, and then the opening to the vocal is just... Yeah, how people imagine metal if they, if they don't know about absolutely it. Absolutely, yeah. right? I was always drawn to that. As a masculinity, I can get on board with. Sort of because primal howl of masculinity, yeah. Beautiful. Like, their music is utterly, utterly beautiful. And they're all, like, anarchists, right? So they're all sort of radical lefties. They do various jobs like blacksmith and, and you know... The, jobs for they, guys with beards. But, but jobs for sort of, you know, anarchist guys with beards. Yeah. And, and watching that video 
used to calm down my gender dysphoria. <laughs> really? Like, really? If that's what being a man is, then I can, I, I can be down with that. See, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because we think of toxic masculinity, when you, think, when you hear it as a phrase, you think of it as just meaning the worst excesses of masculinity, like the most male, mm. butch, mm. man behaviour. Mm. But obviously there's a whole strain of like quite extreme menness like that, which is nonetheless yeah. not toxic, which is in some way yeah. to you felt sort of purer or something. Yeah. And not threatening, I suppose. And not, because the, the big thing with, with gender dysphoria is, is the feeling of you kind of performing your gender out of a sense of obligation and it doesn't sit right. You and know it it's does, not you know, in some way. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the analogy I drew a few years ago, well, you know when you're a kid and you're playing and you get really dirty and you're around like your cousin's house and then they give you like someone else's coat to wear <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that coat but it don't really like it isn't, it doesn't it, feel right no yeah. no it doesn't you're feel glancing right. down thinking this coat's green i've never owned a green <laughs> coat <laughs> never, i wouldn't necessarily have chosen a green coat yeah <laughs> it's a nice <laughs> coat but in my coat <laughs> everyone has had that feeling as a kid yeah yeah you know you're wearing someone else's coat and it so you felt um, like that about your identity for a fair chunk of life basically the overwhelming feeling i had when i was about five was there'd been a, there's been some sort of administrative error there's been, <laughs> there's been a mistake this isn't the one i ordered i didn't order this and like you know really basic things like the first time i remember having diarrhea i was delighted because i was finally weeing out of my bum like girls do um, <laughs> a pretty painful way to get there but uh, i mean really you know silver um, lining i've arrived and you know and then there, and there's the that little thing that looks like a scar the little line that runs through your perineum and I, the, the perineum is otherwise known as the gooch, for those who might not know. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I find yeah. gooch such a satisfying piece of slang for some reason. That's not rhyming slang or something, is it? What's it it feels like it should be, doesn't it? Doesn't, I, I think it's just been referred to as it's the bit between the front and the back. It's the gooch. You're but listening then, to the Mankind podcast and we're discussing <laughs> various names for the bit between your, your bum and the other bit. <laughs> we return to the young Andrew considering their perineum. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, I uh, I had a notion that I'd been sewn up. Wow! Yeah, okay. fascinating. Yes. You felt that there was literally a physical defect that prevented you from yeah, having yeah, the body yeah, yeah. that you ought to. And have I'm had. assuming you weren't listening to heavy metal at eight years old. So were there no, ways no. for you to express yourself, or how did you express no, yourself? No, no. <laughs> I buried it deep, ah, deep down. That old in a very, chestnut. In a very psychologically healthy way, I made it. <laughs> I made an internal diamond out of all this stuff. <laughs> It was interesting because when I was very young, there was a certain, I felt there was a certain flexibility that was allowed. Like my mum painted my nails a couple of times. Like I, you know, dressed in my next door neighbour's clothes a couple of times. And then there came a point where it felt like that wasn't acceptable. Yeah. And it, there was never like, you know, I, I haven't got like sort of ragingly transphobic parents or anything like that. But it was just like, you don't do Stop that. this now, Andrew. Yeah. And, you know, your hair's getting long. You look like a girl. There's an awful lot of don't be a girl. And, and that kind of thing. Um, it's interesting this to me because obviously I don't I don't know you that well at all. But we have we've done gigs together over a period of I suppose mm. ten to fifteen years. Yeah. By the time I met you, you were we were both young, well, young adults in, in our twenties. And at yeah. that point, you were now, well, in my mind, you were a bloke still, mm. as in you were called Andrew, and you you appeared to be a man. But you yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. obviously you were now dressing like a girl, like a traditional girl. So I never actually knew what your relationship with your gender was at that stage. And I didn't really feel like I could ask until I had a podcast in 15 years' time. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> at, at I'd that... love to see your notebook from the time. Just... <laughs> 
It's just a, a picture of a dress with a question mark over it. Yeah. I, I suppose you were one of the first uh, masculine or male seeming people uh, associated with who who just dressed in dresses and stuff and or wore yeah. skirts. And I, I didn't really. But again, because of your heavy metal hmm. appearance and demeanor, and you, it didn't even seem odd to me. I just I did have question marks about. Like by then, how were you? If it's a meaningful question, how are you identifying yeah. in your own head at that I, by then? At that a transvestite was the word. I mean, it's entirely through yeah. through eight years or so. I basically like in my late teens, I knew something was up, but I didn't know where to put it. And so this is the the late nineties, and something and, was up is a great way of describing it. Like yeah, um, and I guess kind of, a total identity crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Something's fiddly here. Eight years old was a revelation because I didn't feel like. I didn't want to be Susan at weekends, which is that kind of transvestite thing. Yeah. That didn't feel right. That didn't feel like me. You know, I didn't really know anything about trans stuff. I didn't know anything about gender dysphoria. And then I saw Eddie Izzard and kind of went, oh, that. Yeah. He's just him, but he cross-dresses. And he, and I thought, oh, that's what I am. That's what I want to be. And for a long time, I mean, really, you're talking 20 years, that served as as a useful kind of label and it served as he a was way a real of... mold breaker wasn't he it... absolutely I, I went to see him the f- it was one of the first comics i ever saw and he, i must have been 17 and it didn't seem to matter at all that he came out in women's clothes and stuff like yeah. that no one seemed to care even I, I found it revelatory but after 10 seconds i also stopped thinking about it which is presumably sort of absolutely. what you were after absolutely it's and... fascinating that you're um that you kind of you're talking about kind of role models i think people you're looking at um <laughs> in terms of who am i who where do i see myself represented and you see, you saw yourself represented in heavy metal and eddie izzard and mm. i don't think i would often have put those two things together is there something that you see within both of those those places that you were looking that joins them or was it the fact that they were so separate there is something that joins them and it's it's a notion of escape. Mm. Um, not escapism necessarily, but my upbringing was so suburban. I grew up in Wallington, which is near, near Croydon, and it's proper suburb, suburban commute belt sort of. And it's such a narrow horizon and very much like house and garden centres and that's, you know, that's. Yeah. And, and just and, normality, and total normality. I, I, yeah, and, and, you know, my dad grew up really, really, really poor. You know, he sees that stability and financial security as, as the thing to aim for. Yeah, yeah. like and, so many people, like like so many stolidly middle-class type people, it's, yeah, it's about that. Yeah, it's about yeah, it being aspirational yeah. in its own right. Yeah, aspirational is exactly the aspirational lower middle class. Like, like yeah. hanging on to the bottom of middle class by our fingernails. <laughs> yeah, but, the notion that at any point we might get chucked out. now also. you're 10% above where you were when you yeah, grew up, and yeah, that's yeah, the aspirational yeah, yeah. margin. But for the kids of those people... In turn, you you long to escape from that, I suppose. Yeah, and and pretty much all punk music comes out of that suburban yeah. thing, and and both my brothers have it in their own way. Like, so I mean, David's a fireman. I mean, I mean, he's just been awarded an MBE for his organisation of the the response to COVID, wow, and he was, it, he was in Grenfell. Wow, <laughs> you know, nice. a top level fireman, proper stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wanted to be in the army, and my dad wouldn't let him until he was 18. By the time he was 18, he'd been working for the Midland Bank for a couple of years and was in a load of debt because when you work for a bank, they go preferential loan, mm. and you can't be in the army if you've got loads of debt. That's really it can dark, be used against it? you. It's horrible. It's really the dark. idea that by working for a financial institution would get you into work, that you'd be exploited by that very institution, yeah, and, that yeah, in, yeah. and then you can't follow your actual dream. Lit- literally, the one thing he wanted to do with his life, he could do. A capitalist nightmare. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So he joined the TA, and he was in the parachute regiment, and then he became a fireman and all that sort of thing 
and he lived like in the town we grew up in. My, yeah. Me and my other brother got the fuck out of there, but David still lives there. But there's still a notion with him of, of wanting to escape. And my other brother, through various other things, I mean, he does a podcast. Um, oh, one and, of those losers. Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> Far too many of them. It's called The Sharp Podcast, and it's about uh, it's a sort of uh, self-improvement, self-help thing. It's, it's very good. But with both of them, there, there was a, a feeling of escape. And for me, so many of the things I'm into have been about a sense of, of, of trying to escape and trying to find something else. Metal was a huge thing, and wanting to be – to just dive into that world yeah. dive into that scene the, the subculture as well as the music i mean the subculture is a really really big part of it and comedy i mean you know all metalheads love monty python that is a stone cold fact that's interesting you know outside any metal gig you can get a, a rousing chorus of the brutus philosopher's song going <laughs> sort of see why the monty python is a sort of like rejection of uh, yeah. of the norm right it's a, yeah, it's a kind yeah, of yeah. An, a, a punk comedy if in a yeah, way or metal absolutely, comedy of absolutely the let me really love python yeah, um, you don't put the pieces together in your head, but you can you can see it. They're yeah. they're all different forms of rejection of a particular type of of thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So so all of the, for me, it, all of that stuff felt like an escape from the the life that was kind of mapped out in front of me of of you know going to home base at the weekend and having kids and you yeah. know and, and having a mortgage and it and so with Eddie Izzard, I mean it just it it. it the two big things about him were, were firstly the, the the gender stuff, which I just you know I I felt very comfortable identifying as that and and as that explaining things for the longest time, and then also he did sketch comedy in so I wanted to be a sketch medium, but he did sketch comedy as a, on stage as a stand up, and I went that I want to do that I want to do I want to be that yeah and like so, his his routines are basically him doing four different characters at one yeah, time yeah they're really visual aren't they they're really sort of yeah so I was really really drawn to it and then I went to University and, and then I started telling people I was a transvestite, to which the you know the response is generally, oh right, okay. And oh no, I'm like, no, no, but it's a big deal. I was, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And then um <laughs> yeah. everything at university is less revolutionary than you wanted it to be. Oh, yeah, it really is, really, really is. <laughs> and then the next question is, right, are you gonna do that then? So <laughs> we wanna see it. And so yeah, all right, I'm actually gonna start, you know. For the first couple of years doing stand up, I didn't cross dress on stage because it's hard enough getting you know getting an audience on side anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but then very quickly, I wrote enough material to get it out of the way. Mm. I mean, and 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 in terms of that sort of like playing with masculinity, walking on stage in in heels and and makeup and pointing to an alpha male in the front row and going, "What the fuck are you wearing, weirdo?" Yeah, um, immediately gets a sort of, "All oh, right, he okay." Yeah, like, yeah, I've like, seen you, you know, do that, and I normally back away a little bit when yeah. that. Happens. <laughs> You don't like being pointed at, do you? No. <laughs> no, I feel seen. There must have been people who argued back in a way when you walked on stage in heels and a full face of makeup. With, with any bit of, of audience response, you've got a, like a one in ten where they're going to say exactly the most, the least useful. And what they often say is, you, "Yeah, what, what are you wearing?" <laughs> yes, it cuts you right to the bone there, doesn't it? <laughs> show you andrew how embarrassing you, you glance down and think <gasps> shit you're right I, uh, where's my jumper when, whenever i've done late and live i've always waited until someone has heckled me with it before talking about what just what i'm wearing because it just becomes that door open so but it's quite a good example of like basic masculinity that you could walk out on stage very consciously dressed like that but someone could use it thinking they were taking you down somewhere. you've got a dress on mate Oh, it's brilliant! It's really, I love yeah, it. I, I love have, yeah. it. With that in mind, like, where do you think that? Where's that coming from? Like, I tell you exactly where it comes from, and it comes from misogyny, right? Um, and the idea of a man wearing a dress, as they perceive it, a man wearing a dress 
For a man to be feminine, that person is lowering themselves in, in terms of social Intrinsically making themselves worse than being Yeah, 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 yeah. And this mm-hmm. notion of, you know, the, why have you given up your birthright? <laughs> why have you thrown what? away some yeah, of your masculinity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, you've been talking about the, like, the Eddie Izzard thing, uh, and obviously Izzard is such, a, such an unusual example of a particular uh, approach to... Mm. Well, gender and appearance. Were there any other people, were there any other men that you, in inverted commas, male figures that you admired or, or saw as potential models in that period? No. Because it is a very really. specific genre, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, you know, my own kind of like internalised transphobia meant that I really shied away. So, like, I really love The Cure now. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, that guy's wearing lipstick, yeah. you know. And it, <laughs> yeah. What is it, man or woman? What the hell is it? Yeah, yeah, you can't tell these days. You can't tell these days. <laughs> and, it, and interestingly, someone asked Eddie, oh, so I imagine you were really into, like, the new romantic movement, that sort of thing. And he said, no, I hated anything like that when I was a kid. And Eddie Izzard wanted to join the army. There are these things, there are loads of, I've got, a, a, a trans friend of mine who fixes Land Rovers for a living, like old Land Rovers for a living. You find quite a lot of trans women have these, like, what are seen as really masculine kind of hobbies or, or careers or because there's a sort of overcompensation before you transition, before you accept your gender identity. Yeah, you, you sort of project it onto things like Land Rovers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's an amazing thing that happened last Christmas. Um I've moved to Milton Keynes for family reasons and uh, we're moving away from here soon, so it's all going to be okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, last Christmas, I got I bought Stephanie, my wife, an introduction to blacksmithing. There's a local blacksmith and I went on their website and then spoke to them on the phone and they had a, a, an androgynous name, I can't remember what it was, and a masculine voice. And so I was like, all right, cheers, mate. And then there was an amazing thing happened. When they turned up to my door to give me this like certificate of you have been given a day of, bla- of learning how to blacksmith, it was a trans woman. And there was an incredible moment when I opened the door to them where they saw how I was presented. <laughs> yes. Both of you hadn't and, imagined and there each was other a, the right a, way. There was an incredible notable relief on their face because you imagine as a blacksmith with an androgynous name and a, and a masculine voice going to someone's door and then the door opening, you're going, you'd imagine most people would probably go, oh, and I kind of went, ah, oh. and, and she went, oh, <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, it's brilliant. Like, oh, okay. Like a practical joke you played on each other. So <laughs> yes, right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We were sort of interested in where you're at now. Mm. You've been talking about this period, this, well, more than a period, this like long time of seeing yourself as a sort of Izzard-esque figure or something like that. But do you have yeah. a slightly different self-definition now? Yeah, I do. So I'm non-binary and I've always been non-binary. So I, I, I considered transitioning for the longest time. And so I have gender dysphoria and I, I considered maybe transitioning would be the, the solution, but it never felt like the solution. And I had, I had a load of therapy last year. And when I was had the consultation, the psychiatrist was saying, well, you know, I'd like to send you to a sort of gender based therapy thing. And I, I said, well, I, I don't think that's a good idea because I kind of got the idea if I go to a gender specialist, they're going to see everything through the eyes of my my gender stuff and not the other stuff that was sort of needed yeah. addressing. And gender is a social construct and it's also kind of like a social contract. There's a sort of negotiation of what gender is and it fluctuates a lot over time. Yeah. So, you know, pink and blue used to be the opposite attribution. Pink used to be a boy's colour, blue used to be a girl's colour. The Scots thought the Romans were pussies for wearing trousers and that sort of... No, not the Romans and the Greeks. Anyway, something like that. Yeah, we've talked about this before. It's interesting that people uh, in any generation, people regard certain poles of masculinity and femininity as being absolutely And those fixed. traits change. Yeah, Even yeah. though those are never fixed over time. Yeah. That's the interesting thing. They do occur in all societies and they're arbitrary, but they... They so, yeah. There are a few things that, that sort of shifted my perception of, of who I was. And, and, and for a long time, transvestites seemed to work expanding the, the notion of what masculinity can what being male can be and can mean sort of felt like a thing but but increasingly i felt uncomfortable with man i felt uncomfortable with he him and i've got loads of mates who are in their 20s and that you know like queer and and non-binary and all that sort of you know and and because they've grown up with personal internet connections they pretty much looked up what am i and they you know they weren't grabbing at eddie izzard as a, oh that finally they're like what am i and the internet goes well you're non-binary go, oh cool right I'll... <laughs> yeah, yeah, i do yeah. think that's absolutely fascinating a kid growing up now compared with a kid growing up like in the 90s yeah can be 10 seconds away from finding a word that takes a massive weight off their but shoulders. But it's not even just yeah. that, I think. it's that The conversation is more prevalent. I'm not saying the conversation is everywhere and where it needs to be, but the conversation is more prevalent. You have non-binary artists on Radio yeah. 1, which people yeah. listen to. Yeah. So people hear they, them pronouns, and it's a thing that just happens now. So Absolutely. When you discovered being non-binary and that, that that felt like it might fit you finally, it was the right it was the right colour jacket that you were putting on. Yeah, it, absolutely. When uh, The coat didn't smell of someone else's yeah. washing powder. <laughs> <laughs> what did that do to how you felt about who you were? Well, it, there's a really good example. So what sort of happened is kind of over, I've been thinking about it for a long time and I've been thinking about whether that category is actually a better fit for me. But then also thinking for quite a while, am I am I ever going to get my mates to use they, them? Because I've seen them struggle with other people's pronouns and it's like, is it even going to be worth it? And then a few different things happened. A, a couple of gigs where people asked me what my pronouns were Ah, and I kind of went. Ah, that's interesting. That's that's that's, that's a that's, conversation we have now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I do online gigs every week, and we do a Q and A afterwards, and it's building this really nice kind of community and sort of lockdown. And someone's basically, "What is your gender deal?" And I kind of went, "I hadn't thought about that in quite a while." And I think also not not doing live gigs, I wasn't performing this kind of negotiated construct of what my 
gender identity is and I, probably being just living as me, not the stage caricature of me. And just bit by bit, everything just slowly shifted. And a big thing happened when I was on my way to like my first post-lockdown gig and I was in Euston Station but they don't have non-binary toilets. There are a couple of disabled toilets that are locked with radar keys. And the entrance to the Houston Station toilets are like a weird stage. You it's go true, in yeah. and there's like you go left for the men's and right for the ladies. And it really and there's always people hanging around. And making that decision feels very sort of public. And I was I was dressed really feminine. I was wearing a sort of floaty silver dress. Uh, and my hair was up and and, and I like I was dressed as feminine as uh, as close to passing for female as as I, I ever get and I was with a friend of mine and I was like I really hate these toilets because I my policy has always been to use the gents because I would rather make men uncomfortable in that <laughs> regard mm. than have any kind of either turfy woman or just you know kind of go, oh that's a man you know I'd rather that's yeah. Yeah. being uncomfortable yeah. But that day, I just really didn't fucking want the gender policing that happens so often. And, you know, excuse me, excuse me, this is the men's, this is the men's. You know, it's horrible when it happens loads. Yeah, um, it must be. I can't imagine having the confidence to object to someone walking into a toilet, but plenty of people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the time. It happens absolutely all the time. Weirdly, it happens more since I came out, sort of shifted to non-binary. And I think there's something to do with how I'm carrying myself. Yeah. And my magical beliefs kick in here, and it's something to do with my, my soul finally letting go of the notion that I'm a man. Excuse me, mate, uh, your soul isn't in the right toilet. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's like my, the spidey sense tingles. So a few different things kind of converged. So on that particular occasion, I used the ladies, and I felt un- just as uncomfortable. And that was a revelation of like, yeah, like transitioning doesn't feel like the fit that, that, that what I felt as a kind of pull towards am I actually female, that sort of was disrupted. And then I did the gig that night, and someone said, "What is you know what are your pronouns?" And I thought, oh, "You're asking an interesting point because it's it's kind of in flux." And so I kind of made the decision. Actually, I think non-binary is a is a really good fit for for who I am and and what I feel and 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 the idea of like letting go of the notion that I'm a man is so fucking freeing. Mm. There's also a slight thing that where I live, which is in this north part of Milton Keynes in New Bradwell, they don't have non-binary people here. It's very much the sort of place that people like me move out of. <laughs> um, As indeed you are planning to. It's, it's absolutely going to happen. And so there's something about cross-dressing, as I used to consider it here, that feels like a bigger deal than when I was living in North London. North London, no one gave a shit. And here there's a kind of, you know, and it's, it's fairly benign. It's not aggressive. You know, it's like when people see a new £20 note for the first time. <laughs> go, now, hang on. It looks oh, like the real I, thing, but something's I, not right. Yeah. This is all like, oh, I heard we were getting these. I've not seen one. <laughs> this is the first one I've seen. Have you had one yet? No, I haven't. Have you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So, um, those so, 50Ps, I remember when they had those 50Ps with a particular, with words on them. Yes. And I, yeah. I, used to, I used to love those, but every now yeah. and again you spend it and then think, oh, I want those back. <laughs> so that's, that's what you've become to the people of Northern Milton Keynes. exactly what I've become. So that all these kind of things like waves interfering with positive interference in my head and, and all these different things were happening. And then I, I thought, well, I think non-binary is, is a good fit. And then, right, but is this going to be a, a massive hassle? Are my friends going to adopt the pronouns? My mum's never going to adopt them because she still calls CDs tapes. So <laughs> that's like... She still no, sort of talks about recording things onto a VHS. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not really worried about them. And, <laughs> and, and my, my Twitter bio now says they, them, unless you've known me since the 90s. Because <laughs> I'm well aware that when people, you know, well, our heads contain these boxes, but 
but there was a, there was a really beautiful thing where a few weeks of living in this new paradigm, I was running to the train station to get down to London for a gig, um, and I had a load of stuff with me, like my guitar and stuff, and I was aware of how I was carrying myself. There was a notion of like you know that that sort of thing that everyone has to a degree of of how am i performing my gender how am i being perceived how are the cars that are driving past see me do i look a bit girly and then i was like well i'm not a man yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was such an interest and, Can look and honest, i like i suppose you must yeah say. and i realized that even though i've been sort of like aggressively out as a transvestite and and you know and, and fucking with gender there had still been a part of me that was conscious of the need to be a man and present yes. as a man. It's almost yeah. impossible to turn that off, I suppose, after a certain yeah. amount of time. But I, I think there's probably also a notion of performing my sexuality as well, because I fancy feminine people exclusively and it, it you know sort of would formerly have considered myself to be basically straight i'm basically pansexual but it's you know <laughs> it's not it's, it's a little bit more specific than that but i, I there's absolutely a feeling of freedom from the need to carry myself as a man and it's a feeling i've never had before it was just it was really, and, and really really this nice. is very recently by the sound of it yeah, this is a few months ago. Another really, really important thing that happened. So whenever I've considered transitioning, I've always thought about the limitations of that. And I think I'm I'm always going to be read as male. I'm always going to get... It, doesn't, it really doesn't matter how much I'm dressed up. People call me sir and mate. I'm not going to change my voice because my voice is my job, basically. And there is a cognitive dissonance that happens when people read me as female on first glance and then hear my voice. Yeah, you've still got that that voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And so I had therapy last year and we were talking about the idea of transitioning. And I said, I've never really considered it because I don't feel it would be successful enough that I would be read as female and I wouldn't necessarily, you know, and my therapist said, yeah, but what would it feel like if that wasn't an issue? You know, if you were female, if you could successfully transition and now that was an issue, what would it feel like? For the, He made me consider it, properly consider it for the first time ever because I'd always rejected the idea. And what was interesting was the idea was amazing and I, my point of view was inside looking out rather than outside looking in. Mm. It was about how it felt, not about what it looked like or how it was perceived. And that's after uh, a lot of outside looking in in your life by the time. Absolutely, of absolutely. I think a lot of the inside looking out is what changes things. You were talking about how, I mean, what sounds amazing is rather than putting on a jacket that fit, you just decided you weren't going to wear a jacket anymore, which is quite <laughs> a lovely way of thinking about it. But, tell uh, your friends, mum, you're not going to be as cold as she puts. No, actually, <laughs> don't need a jacket, mum, it's fine. You were saying earlier about how what's masculine uh, or considered masculine behaviours or jobs or stereotypes, mm. that changes and blue to pink, pink to blue, all those mm. changes. Where does change come from? How do we shed that jacket and, and how does that jacket change? A lot of it is the changes come from need, don't they? So mm. so both world wars had a really big impact on the notions of what what's acceptable for women to do in the workplace. Yeah, because yeah. we had to um, have more of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's a kind of chicken and egg situation where as feminism does its job and women earn more money, the cost of living has gone up. In, in yeah. accordance, and the, particularly the cost of, of property has gone up so much that women in a family now have to work in order to. Yeah. So, so it's all happened organically up until the last 20 years 
when identity politics has blown the doors off all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And that's why you've got people like J.K. Rowling and Jonathan Ross and Terry Gilliam sort of railing against trans stuff because it's happened so quickly and it's happened because of the internet. It's happened because of social. It's it's the same reason, you know, QAnon and Trump and all that stuff are happening because people are finding like-minded people and they're talking and they're pushing these things forward. So much faster than we ever could have done without. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on the one hand, you've got queer culture and trans culture and, and this kind of like rainbow unicorn polyamorous sort of queer, you know, that wonderful thing, which is the aesthetic is awful, but the underlying <laughs> politics are great. Not quite your um, thing, visually. Fuck glitter. Um, and, um, that is but, the title of the podcast. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> fuck glitter. But then you've also got weird guys in the pub with weird controversial opinions who used to just be that bloke in the pub. They're equally amplified by the time. Yeah, they've yeah. all found each other. Yeah. And and then you get group polarisation phenomenon where it all pushes forward and forward. And, and from queer and gender identity point of view, you've got that thing, of, you know, people are now saying there are 40 genders because the, the fringes of, of that debate are quite extreme looking from mainstream point of view. Like, I think, I think that the change in, in all this gender stuff has been so so quick the gap between my mates who are in their 20s who are like down with this they don't have the hang-ups i have because they didn't live through the brutally homophobic and transphobic 80s and 90s with section 28 and all that sort of shit you know which suggests that that another generation on it might be even more normalized presumably i think it will if you were to look at that generation coming up Mm. if you had to put in three qualities into the men in that generation that would push the world further again into the into the following generation. If we're looking at three qualities, what would I, I what would I change? Sort of. Well, we normally formulate the question as if you were building a man in inverted commas, yeah. where you build a bear in those build a bear shops. What three things would you choose? <laughs> but but it, this, in this case, it's a slightly interesting it, it, question yeah. because you might choose to say that you you get away from the whole conception of a man to, as a start. What point. I was quite enjoying what you were talking about was the concept of generational change and how generational mm. change happens and previously it's been done by potentially external circumstances such as wars and things like that although yeah. people make wars they don't just happen um, yeah. but uh, recently it's kind of been the internet has kind of been this kind of big change and that people in their 20s of which I am one don't have the same hang-ups and I think I would agree to an extent but then the next generation then what kind of people can make that change happen? What, what does ideal future man look like i think the change that we desperately need in society is organic face-to-face community and i think that pushing those online community attitudes out into the if you like the real world physical world yeah 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 i think that's the next change that needs to happen because i think people are finding um safe harbor refuge in communities I think there's there's an increasing gap between those almost kind of subcultures and like the mainstream world sort of thing. Mm. I think the genuine community, like knowing your neighbours, that has that has to, the pendulum swing has to go back so that we're much less sort of stratified in, in we're, we are all you know we've got our echo chambers and, and the, yeah the, the internet is, is is a confirmation bias engine and it you know so maybe something like inclusivity or a bridge building mentality or something is is a is what yeah, you know, like if, it's one of those three qualities yeah like community or community activism yeah. and and like this kind of grassroots politics people need to 
if I had a meeting with everybody on my street and we determined what are the three things we most want to change, the three things we most want to value, you find a consensus mm. and then you can build politics that way rather than, you know, do you want this big notion here? This, you know, again, the binary that we have in, in politics. Um, the difference being that when you talk to someone in the pub about politics, you find a middle ground. Yeah. And online you don't. Online you're entrenched and it's destructive rather than kind of constructive. So so in terms of notions of masculinity, I think being community-minded, finding consensus and building a society, I feel as, a, as you know, now it's sort of uh, basically a parent that, that there's a lack of, of what I used to have in terms of like, yeah, hanging out with people. and do. Genuine community, yeah. Genuine community. So maybe a good way to answer the question is there aren't three individual qualities which we need from people we need to get away from thinking of ourselves as disparate individuals we, we need to focus need to more, more on the corporate on the community yeah because as andrew says we've learned that from the internet but we've yet to push that into the real world that's a very good way of thinking yeah, about the, it the flesh and blood world because we think about communities and a lot of the time the queer community in particular talks about the the online community where you can where you can find your family and that's so that's true it does exist there yeah but it's existed a very different way to how it would exist actually in person, face to face. That's a really lovely way of thinking of things. It's a nice note to end on in a way. Yes. Because it's nice to, it's the first time that we've finished one of these by thinking away from the idea of the individual towards something bigger. Yeah. This has been really great. Honestly, One Andrew, of the most so wide-ranging chats we've had, I think. There's been, I feel like a lot, I've not asked a lot of questions because I've just been sat, like I said earlier, at like the church of Andrew just listening. <laughs> Genuinely been one of my favourite interviews. Oh, it's been so it's interesting really to hear yeah. from you. Thank you Thank so you. much for joining Absolute us. pleasure. See you soon, hopefully, in, See you in soon, reality. Yeah. Oh, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Should Andrew O'Neill, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Menkind. You can find us on social media at Menkind Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can send us an email menkindpodcast at gmail.com. Why not do that? We will read it as well. Here we are back in the outie of the episode, the coda, if you will. You're committing to this outie thing, unfortunately, aren't you? I quite like the innie and the outie. Do we have to pretend we haven't just recorded the innie? No, I think it's fine. I think you've already ruined uh, any sort of stage part. Ruined all magic of the show. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Andrew. I thought they were great. And I've never spoken to a real wizard before. So hope you enjoyed that. And next week we have... And there's a real spectrum of the condition... Uh, as well, I'm, I'm very much the spinal tap of of my condition. Well done, you for getting that reference. <laughs> you're, Thank the, you. you're the big guns. It went it went straight over Elizabeth Day's head. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to uh, the podcast you did with Elizabeth Day, in fact. Yeah, and well, what can I say? Not everyone's not everyone has the popular culture references. Uh, but they're spectrum the, that Michael they, and I do. They do have the podcasting skills that we don't. Yes, the main difference is Elizabeth is good at doing a podcast. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We're learning. Adam Pearson, who is, well, among other things, a film star, a presenter, writer, activist, communicator about disability as well. And he's bloody funny. I really enjoyed it. It was a funny and fascinating chat, I think, without wanting to hype ourselves too much. Um, in fact, if I were you, I would, I was going to say, rate this week's one and also next week's one. But maybe you're not allowed to. You probably can't give it five stars next week. Perhaps they could go back to all the previous episodes and rate them five stars. Basically, just please love us. We really crave your approval. Please like us yeah. with five and stars. And that's clear now. Next week, let's not be as needy. Let, let, let's be more aggressive about it next week. Oh, I'm quite looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. See you there. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 